This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, we are happy to bring to you our very special guest, Jeff Grinnell. Jeff will be sharing a very special message entitled, The Next Great Awakening. Let's join Jeff at the Emmanuel service right now. In this room are people who have seen an awakening in America. If you are an elder, if you are 25, 30 or over, you know what it means to be in a move of God. If you've been raised in the church, you know what it means to say we're in revival or awakening. If you're under 25, if you're a millennial or a Gen Z, you have no idea what you're singing. This this isn't reality, not in a post-Christian America. And that's not bad news, that's just reality. But I long for the day when we sing a song and running through our minds, our story, story of God doing miracles in our home and doing miracles in our neighborhood and doing miracles at work and doing miracles on our team and doing miracles across the the table at a restaurant or across the counter as, as we check out. I want that so badly for this generation. And many of you in this room know what we're talking about. But today, we are raising a generation in America who have no idea what it means when we say awakening. I mean, they've heard about it, but they've not seen it. And I know what you think I, I, when I say that. People say, oh, no, 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 not, a, not where I'm at. I mean, you should, no, 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 let me, t- I'm not talking about a local movement. I'm talking about a national awakening of proportion that you've never seen. And it sounds, hear me, I know, it sounds emotional when I say this, but when you live it and you've prayed for it, and you want so badly for the young people in this nation, for all of this nation to see it again. Let me tell you something, this is not emotion. Let me tell you what emotion is. And let me tell you something, I don't believe that God is even afraid of emotion. Read, the, read Revelation, <laughs> hello. You wanna see real emotion, read the book of Revelation. Because what's happened, what happens in our churches in America, has, we haven't even begun to see what God wants to do. When you sing a song like, they, like you just prayed, God, we don't even care how it happens. And then we say things like, well, I just don't need to stay in my comfort zone, right? Or we say things like, God, if you're gonna move, then this is what it's gonna look like. Let me tell you something. We don't define awakening. We don't define revival. We don't define the kingdom. The Word of God and the Spirit of God defines revival in the kingdom. We don't define, we don't get to define that. As a matter of fact, we've already defined that in America and look what we got. 
I'm praying tonight for a moment because I believe in moments. Let me tell you something. There are historical suddenlies, not just in history, but in scripture, where in a moment everything was turned around. God wants my faithfulness. I know that God wants my faithfulness, but there are times when God says, just give me a moment. Just give me a moment. I've watched him change lives in moments that have still lasted today. There's one of them right there. Spirit of God. Do it again, and we're not gonna define it. Do it again, and we're not going to define it. I want you to go to Acts 17. Acts 17. I want to speak a word into your life tonight entitled The Next Great Awakening. We are in what some call the teen decade, 2013 to 2019. Seven years. Seven years that only happened once in a, in a century. And you probably will never live through another one again. The emphasis of the teen decade is significant to me because that's my, that's my target. That's my mission field. That's, that's my circle, my squad, my posse. It's my tribe. I believe that this generation is going to lead the next great awakening. I believe that. I believe it. I've prayed that. I've preached that. I've taught that. I've mentored that and coached that. That these young people are not going to lay it down at the end of their life and not have seen God do his greatest work in our nation. How many know America needs an awakening? <laughs> you look at what's going on in our country. Hear me. God is not intimidated by the sexual revolution. God is not intimidated by the redefinition of the family. God is not intimidated by a lukewarm church. God is not intimidated by the anger and the hatred in government. God is not seated up in heaven looking at what's going on in our country with his head rolled back going, what do we do next? No, it's not like, right, he's Jesus, right? He's going, Jesus is not like, <laughs> oh my God, oh my God, God, get God, oh my God, I don't know what to do. You have a second son? You are the only one. But understand that in that little symbolism, there's an empty chair in heaven. And the power of the Holy Spirit is here today. And he's working. I mean, all of the things that we can say are going wrong in the condition of America right now. We can, we can look at all of those. But hear me. Some of the greatest things are happening also. Just in our last generation, 
just within the last hundred years even, and then closer. We've had the Azusa Street Revival in LA, the Jesus Movement in uh, California that broke out in 1967-ish and went into the mid-70s. We had the Billy Graham Crusades in the 70s and the 80s. We had the charismatic revival that happened about that time also. We had the Brownsville outpouring in Florida uh, in uh, mid-90s that lasted for just a few years. But we have, we've had nothing in the last 25. We've had no significant religious awakening in America for 25 years. And we've raised a generation in the church who've heard about it, but they've never seen it. And that should concern every adult in this room. That, that should concern us to the point of our, our homes and, and the conversations in our homes, our relationships with our children, that we would see an intergenerational move of God like we have never seen in America. In Acts 17, there is this phrase I want to get to by reading the first few verses leading up to this phrase. Look at Acts 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. That is very prophetic in our moment, even with the, the news of the shooting. Say a prayer even in your mind for the Jews here in America. Verse 2. And then Paul, listen, as was his custom. Don't let that go un, unthought of. As was his custom. Went into them for three Sabbaths, about three weeks, and reasoned with them from the scriptures. This is Paul coming and doing a crusade in the church. He comes and he reasons with them in Thessalonica. He reasons with them in the scriptures. That Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you, he is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. How many know not all are persuaded all the time? Some of them were persuaded, becoming envious. Uh, uh, back it up. Some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not even a few of the leading women, an interesting thought, joined Paul and Silas. So he comes to Thessalonica, he preaches for three weeks, displays the scripture, you see that, he displayed them, he didn't just teach on them, he demonstrated them, you'll see that in a minute. He displays the kingdom of God and half the crowd is moved and persuaded to follow him. But the Jews, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the mar marketplace and they gathered a mob. We've been hearing a lot about mobs lately, haven't we? <laughs> and they gathered a mob. Gathering the mob, they set all the city in an uproar. This is not the first time you're going to hear this. So we have this mob of people who did not believe in the kingdom of God, what they called back then the way. They did not believe in it, so they incite this mob and put the city in an uproar against the church. 
And they attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them, Paul and all of his people, these, this, this crew that, right, that was bringing away. They sought to bring them out to the city that they would destroy them that they, so they could persecute them. Okay? Following along? You got the story. And then look at verse 6. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brethren to the rulers of the city, saying, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. <laughs> I love that. Can we impact culture? Yes. The problem is most of us are more mesmerized by culture than we are memorizing scripture. And so we have no effect on culture because we're in love with, we're not in love with scripture. Paul for three weeks was giving them scripture. Scripture always trumps culture. These who have turned the world upside down have come here now. And so they were losing control, weren't they? They were losing control. Listen, we need to surprise the world again. Church, let me try this side. We need to surprise the world again. We need as a church to surprise this world again. To live in such a way that the kingdom of God walks into culture, steps into society, and turns it upside down. Now, that's how the, that's how the, the heathen described it. God would describe it turning it upside right. Verse 7, Jason harbored these people, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king. How many know every culture has always had another king? But it's our job to raise up princes and princesses to become kings and queens in culture. It is our responsibility as a church to see an intergenerational move of God. It is not enough to have a multi-generational church, just the fact that it, it exists. What we need is an intergenerational church where there is tribes from the, the elders and tribes from the teenagers and the children who actually like each other. See, all the way throughout Scripture, there was handed down a relationship of ministry or revival or blessing. Moses wrote, sang, traveled, did life with Joshua. Everything Moses did, he did with Joshua in sight. David and his mighty men. Understand the mighty men were already in Israel. But they didn't stand up to Goliath. They were there, but they didn't stand up to Goliath until David comes on the scene as a young man. He was, 
he was still a lad, which means that, that he was probably in his teenage age, just a little older than Josiah when he took over a few years later. And walking in now, these mighty men receive from David this transition, like, okay, may I, I can see it in him. They couldn't see it in Saul, but they saw it in David. And David just pulls this out of the mighty men. Gamaliel turned over to Paul, the kingdom and the teachings, because Paul needed that. He had been on the other side of the church before that. And then Paul to Timothy. And then D.L. Moody to Billy Graham. And then Smith Wigglesworth to Burt Evans and Burt Evans to me. I wish I had time to talk about that. As I sat in the office of an 80-plus-year-old man for eight months, and he revolutionized the way I thought as a 27, 28-year-old. We need another intergenerational move of God. The church in England did a a research, a study, on the seven tipping points of a healthy church globally. 1988, the Church of England did a research study on the seven, seven tipping points of a healthy church globally. What does a global healthy church look like? Let me, if those of you that are interested, you can write them down fast. Uh, otherwise, you can get this and uh, look at it later. Number one, the contextualization in, in mission. In other words, having a mission that is unique to your church. Number two, incarnational in the community. Being present in the community. You'll see where I'm going with this. Number three, a global vision. Not just global local and global. Number, number four, shared communitas. We talk about community all the time. Communitas is diversity. Hear me. It's not enough to be multi-generational. We want to be intergenerational. It's not enough to have community. We want to have communitas, T-A-S, which literally means to value and honor the individual in the group. We are never going to see the church come together in unity and power unless we have communitas, not just community. Oh, man, I don't even know if you got that. I, that hurts. Number five, young passion. Young passion. Hear me. There is not a recorded awakening in history that we can read, read on. I'm sure it's happened, but I've not read a recorded awakening in history that did not begin with young people. It was sustained by adults, oftentimes sustained by adults, but do your church history. I have not seen it yet, and I read extensively in church history, especially American church history since the first great awakening and the second great awakening. And then each of these that I mentioned earlier, from Azusa Street all the way up through the Jesus movement. We see that in each of these movements, often, most often, 
they are begun by young people, but sustained by adults, which leads us to the number six thing that the, that the Church of England said, an elder wisdom creating a discipleship movement. Hear me, young, young people in this room need to, need to honor your elders. And I know I'm speaking against Satan himself when I say this. Look at me. Anybody that's 25 and under in this room, listen to me. I'm speaking against Satan himself when I say this. Because you have been taught not to respect authority. But hear me. The kingdom of God is about authority. And if you do not submit to your authority and bless your authority, you will never be blessed yourself. The elder wisdom was number six. Hear me, let me say this. Elders in this church, find your place again. It is not time for you to retire, but to refire. Number seven, and I'm gonna park on this one for a few moments. The seventh tipping point in this study by the Church of England in 1988 of a globally healthy church is the Trinity at work in believers' lives. We can change signs, buy up dying churches, have seminars. We can do all of those things, but if the Holy Spirit is not allowed back into the church in America. We will never see a significant move of God in our society. Not gonna happen. God the Father we know, Jesus we know, but who is the Holy Spirit? I wanna spend just a few moments on that before we pray tonight. I believe your most important relationship on this planet is the Holy Spirit. Your most important relationship isn't even between your spouse. If you're married in this room, listen to me. I heard someone just recently say, last week I heard this said in front of a crowd of people. And the minister stood up and said, I am not complete without my spouse. And I cringed on the inside. And those of you that know my story, you can read it in that book if you get a chance. Because just shortly before Jane passed, the Holy Spirit said to me, you have placed your family in front of me. And I thought that was noble. I thought when I, when I was placing my family right before God that it was noble of me. And God said to me, I am a jealous God. I won't have your children or your spouse before me. I know that's not a comfortable place for an amen, especially if you're sitting next to your spouse. But hear me. Your most important relationship on this earth, young people, is not your mom or your dad. It's not your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your bae or your bestie. The most important relationship that you have on this earth is the Holy Spirit. Because if that relationship is right, every other relationship that you have on this planet will be right. The Trinity at work in believers. Why the Trinity? Hear me. If we can get this relationship right, everything
Something else in our lives will fall in, in line. The Father. Why is the relationship with the Father so important? Listen, we are not just raising a fatherless generation anymore. We are not just raising a motherless generation anymore. We aren't even raising a fatherless or a motherless or a siblingless generation anymore. We are raising an anti-family generation. I know you're, you're thinking, oh, no, no, not us. That's, that's the culture. That's what's happening in America. When our government redefines marriage for us, the church stepped off the box. Hear me. We need a right relationship with the Father because we don't have a right relationship with the Father. And if we could simply understand the Father's authority and identity in our lives, it would transform your thinking. It would. And I know some of you are thinking right now, I, I don't want a relationship with my father. No, I know, I know, hear me. I hear students say that every week. Every week I hear that. Yes, you do. As bad as it was, whatever he did, however he treated you, whatever he didn't do, you need a relationship with your father to move on. You would not be spiritually healthy without understanding the relationship that you have with your heavenly father and his authority in your life and his identity because he created you as a son and a daughter. Ain't nobody can mess with that. Your relationship with the father will totally help you understand the sexual revolution like that. He created them male and female. Anything, anything, anything that comes after the creation intent is cultural intent. And cultural intent is not the best thing for your life. Hello. That doesn't mean, hear me, that doesn't mean that we are upset with someone like that. It doesn't mean that, we, that they have to behave before they belong. Hello. Understand your relationship with the Father. Let me go to the Son. Why is the relationship with Jesus so important? Listen. Your relationship with Jesus is so important because he is the only model of unconditional love. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about Emmanuel and enjoy other messages by checking out emmanuelcc.org. Be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.